the good, the bad, the ugly. Hello and welcome to the seventh episode of the Agents of E-Commerce podcast. Today we've got something extra special for you. We've got Gary Penn, the VP of Digital and E-Commerce from Nixon, and we are doing the good, the bad, the ugly of holiday 2018. So I'm really excited for this. It's a great conversation. It's got everything. It's got everything from bizarre references to The Little Mermaid to even some uh, therapy. Uh, We'll call it e-commerce replatform therapy. It really does have everything, and Gary does a great job summing up some of his viewpoints on where retailers should be focused and not, what are some of the, the really interesting areas to, to be driving business, and what should be really not ready for prime time. So I'm excited, uh, so have a listen and let me know what you think. Enjoy. Okay, welcome to Episode 7 of the Agents of E-Commerce Podcast. Uh, today is a special podcast. I mean, they're all special in their own way, but I'm, I'm really psyched for this. This is a holiday edition. Uh, we're calling it the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I hope to include some lovely sound effects for your audio pleasure. So I'm here with Gary Penn, who's the vice president of digital e-commerce and e-commerce for Nixon. And Gary, I looked it up. We got connected way back in 2007 when you were with Quicksilver and I was with Urban Outfitters and you guys were evaluating e-commerce platforms and we had just deployed ATG and you wanted to know what it was really like and it sucked (laughs) and nothing's changed. (laughs) We'll get to that later, but uh, thanks a lot, Gary, for making this time available. So welcome to say hi. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. I'm excited to be here and especially happy to be here for the holiday edition because there is a lot to talk about as we're coming into holiday and you know, you and I have known each other for a long a long time, many holidays and this one is going to be just as significant as all the others. They don't ever seem to get less significant. This is true. And there are lots of different trends happening. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, And as far as definitions go, the good are things in sort of the, you know, that are cranking for retailers and brands. Companies are really leaning leaning into, they're mature. You guys feel good about it. Uh, The bad is, as it sounds, it's just, these are persistent challenges. These are things that constantly are thorns in your side. And then the last is the ugly. And the ugly are things that have potential to be really good, but ultimately have become more complex, have not lived up their potential. The reality is, is not matched the marketing, so to speak. Awesome. So, so let's start in with the good, things that are humming. The good. Uh, and one of the things we talked about and we think is really interesting is what we'll call brick and mortar experimentation. Gary, what do you think are some of the areas that you think are are awesome in this space? You know something, I think retail has gone through a really interesting pattern. If you think back to when we met, 2007, all the buzz was about the demise of retail and how the omni-channel experience might save that. And it's been an interesting ride for the last over a decade to see retail actually go through that nadir and come out the other side. 
there have been a lot of folks that fell prey to that demise, but the folks that have survived have really done a great job of taking retail and integrating it with an online experience. And I'm happy that some of the brands that I've been with have, have been a part of that. So I've been involved in a bunch of omnichannel experiments, if you will. Some were successful, some were not. But it's interesting to see as we near 2018 into 2019 that some of these brands have embraced the Amazon phenomenon. They understand that consumer behavior has shifted to online. And so they're doing interesting things within their own environment to drive the omnichannel experience in a bigger way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's a footprint where they could take advantage of, right? Exactly. I think, you know, that it's definitely a, a place where they can flex, they can build that individualized relationship with, with their customers. Yeah, it's interesting. I was actually, I live in Southern California and I was traveling a week and a half ago. I was in Austin, Texas. I'd never been there. Great city. I was walking around the UT campus and I passed by a Target and I actually needed something. I needed a bottle of water. And, but what struck me was not the setup of the Target. It was not the beauty of the Target. It was the fact that at the front door, when I walked in, Target was promoting, get ready for it, Target.com. They weren't promoting sales in store. They weren't promoting a BOGO offer on the latest bread. They weren't promoting 30% off of baby supplies. They were promoting going to target.com and hitting a minimum threshold for free shipping, which I thought was a really interesting message to tell the consumer upon entry into the store of, hey, you're here. We have more for you in our virtualized environment. Yeah, it's like the reverse omni-channel. You're always thinking about online driving to store, but that's an interesting approach that I think we'll probably see a lot more of as they want to be everywhere the customers are and just reminding them of that fact. And I think it shows the adoption curve of the dot-com reality that consumers embrace now. I don't think you would have seen that in Target 10 years ago. There would have been an ultimate fear factor of pushing, well, oh, wait, if we advertise online, people will immediately turn around and leave the store. And I think that what real retailers are realizing is that that is not the case, that we live in an omni environment and folks are going to go to both environments to do their shopping. And you have to understand what the customer wants in their behavior and not try to drive what that behavior is. Definitely. And I think taking advantage of that sort of impersonal engagement to do do things you can't do as easily online. I think, you know, we, we talk, talked about educating in store, using that that environment to, to do different things. Yeah, 100%. I mean, there, there are so many options of what you could do once you're on target.com that it's hard to even hone in what that might be. But the fact that you're teaching the consumer that they have another option, I think is critical because the reality is nobody's going to walk into that target and leave empty handed if they find what they want, but they might leave empty handed if they don't find what they want. And the message in the head is, Hey, you can look for this online. As a matter of fact, they might show room 
the experience while they're in the store, either looking on Target or looking on Amazon for the same product. And I think it's just an embracing of reality that's taking place and the chance to educate the consumer, hey, we offer the first choice, I think is an important one. It also helps to offset the competition that is Amazon. I, I totally agree. So let's let's take a look at one other um, another one of the good in the category, and we'll we'll look at social media strategies. I think this is an area that that is definitely coming to its own. Retailers know where their customers are from the standpoint of advertising and engagement, and, and there's some awesome things happening out there. So when it comes to social, you know, one of the things that I think is up and coming is shoppable Instagram, and I know that we've been talking about shopping on social forever, forever, literally since the introduction of Facebook to broad consumer society, we have been talking about shopping on social. And I'm not saying that shoppable Instagram is the panacea that is going to drive 50% of purchases this holiday. What I think is interesting about shoppable Instagram is that it is different than most of the other shopping experiences, most of the other shopping experiences to me are the square peg in the round hole. This one feels like the right sized peg. It is just Instagram and it's Instagram tagged. And probably for everybody listening to this podcast, you're ecom experts or technologists in some way, and you have high awareness of what this is. But what you have to maintain the awareness of is that the customers are not aware. And this has the ability to really create an interesting echo in somebody's mind of surprise and delight. That's a a term that I always look at from a UX perspective is, is it providing surprise and delight to the consumer? And shoppable Instagram falls into that category. You are used to seeing all of your best photos from your favorite brands, from your colleagues, from your friends, from other people in your network. And the little tiny buttons that make those things suddenly shoppable or at least give you a price point and a direct link are super powerful because they're not disruptive to the experience, which is why I say that they're the the round peg in the round hole. It, It just slides right in there. And to me, that provides the element of surprise and delight. I get the feeling some consumers are going to start to adopt that this holiday and potentially beyond. Yeah, and I think it's particularly with the millennials, which is that you know coveted target market. It's obviously where they are, and I think you know with that Snapchat as well. It'll be interesting to see how who flexes in that space. I'm kind of excited actually to see where where people play. Yeah, Snap's another interesting one. I admit that I'm too old for Snapchat in terms of my longer term plans, but I know that it's out there and I know that it creates surprise and delight. It's a unique concept and we need to embrace those things in the guise of, we might know what it does, but when the consumer adoption starts, that's when you really see the surprise and delight start to pop up. Yeah. And a holiday is the perfect time. Definitely. I myself, I do snap uh, because it's essentially the only way I can communicate with my kids. They seem to pay attention to that. Uh, although I yeah, do perfect. it wrong. I don't know how it's possible to do it wrong, but whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it wrong. So It's so easy to do anything in technology wrong. In the eyes of your children. <laughs> Indeed. Awesome. So lastly, and this is an area that's close to my heart, 
really it's about just getting out there and, and trying something different, new, testing, adapting, really looking at ways to, to enhance and evolve um, what you're already doing, right? Yeah, so I'm, I'm filled with <laughs> I'm filled with interesting philosophies today. One of them is surprise and delight. The other one around testing is something that I've been touting for e-com teams and folks that I've worked with for over a decade now. And that is the following. If it's not going to screw things up, do it. It's the do no harm policy. And I believe do no harm in digital is really, really critical to embrace if you're not going to bring down the site, if you're not going to break checkout, most of the things that people are doing, everybody's thinking about on a really, really deep level. It's great that everybody's thinking about it that way, but it's important to harken back to the olden days of digital when everybody realized, hey, digital's not print. We can change things quickly and we should. And we need to make sure we embrace that. And so if you're not going to screw it up, Try it. And that's part of this try, test, adapt. Super good to do during the holidays. I will have a caveat on that, on that, however, which is you have all the traffic during the holidays to test with. Just make sure you plan your tests. It doesn't mean you can't test. Just make sure that they're well thought out. Make sure that they're planned. Have an idea of what your success metrics look like. And there's really almost no reason not to start trying this. Um, I personally, in my current job, we don't have a particular piece of software specifically dedicated to A-B testing, but you know something? Salesforce has it built into the platform and we use Salesforce. So it doesn't have to be the most powerful piece of software on the planet specifically dedicated to A-B testing. Google offers a free tool. Go out and try it. You will learn something just in trying. It will be enough learning to try something else. And that will be enough learning to try something else. And as you start to mature in your practice of what an AB and multivariate testing strategy would look like, okay, now maybe you're ready to go out and purchase that piece of software that does something with all the bells and whistles. Yeah. Good, good advice. I think it's also a way to think about your pressure testing, your culture and your organization, because, you know, once you open up that, that box, I think you'll see where you really uh, view your company and what they're willing to do to try to drive versus reservation to do so. And I'm, I think nowadays you just have to be willing to, to step out and, and try something new, particularly if you're able to, to your point, sort of limit your, your losses. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of the hesitation to A-B test at the beginning of any organization's start into a program is lack of resources to be able to accomplish the A and the B. It's literally twice as much work. And so to be able to look at this and say, how am I going to do this? Well, you can start off with maybe testing a piece of content that you would already run, but you're going to run a second time in a different order. That in and of itself is a valid A-B test. And if you know the success metric you're looking for, you might be able to get something out of it. Awesome. All right. Well, we will now take that and leave the good. And it's time to move on to the bad. Oh, the bad. Again, the bad. These are the persistent challenges, the thorn in your side, the the pain that keeps you up at night. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's tough. And this is the time of year where some of those, those, 
those views of what could be good really turn into the bad. I think let's start with the first one here. Um, let's just go right at it. VR, AR, virtual reality, augmented reality. What, why is this? Why is this bad? You know, I think VR and AR have potential to be amazing, right? And all of these buzzword technologies, including Omnichannel from 10 years ago, have the potential to be amazing. However, they also have the ability to distract a brand, a CEO, a leadership team, an e-com leader, the entire e-com team, your A-B test expert, whoever it is working within your organization. All of them have heard the buzzwords. Some of them are going to latch onto the buzzwords. And there's going to be somebody in your org who walks up and says, hey, what are we doing for X? What are we doing for Y? What are we doing for Z? How are we combating any of these things? And I think the key is to think about the adoption curve of this stuff. If, if the consumer base that within the field that you're working on hasn't broadly adopted these things, I guess the question that I would ask to all of the listeners out there who are e-com professionals is, what's better spent? An hour researching VR or AR for your brand, hmm, maybe. Five hours doing a VR or AR exploration, eh, getting a little worse. 20 hours starting to actually engage a professional to build something out. Okay, now you're really talking about money. Or would you take that one hour, five hours of exploration, 20 hours of work and apply it to SEO best practices, crawling your site for broken links, making sure that you have another set of alt views on your top five selling SKUs. Think about how you could use that time other than spinning your wheels on VR, AR, and think about the impact that that's going to have year round, not even at just holiday, but year round. And I think it, it makes the choice pretty clear. It's all about focus and a lot of these buzz terms, VR and AR included, can really – it can distract your focus. Good point. They're, they're very sexy. Uh, but you know, I always think about the right tool for the job. And, and by the job, what is it you really need to do for your customer? Are they looking for this? Um, if not, you, know, you have to just rethink it. Yeah. And I think, again, that if you wanted if, – if your brand is a brand that is selling something that – could be driven by these technologies, by all means, spend the hour, spend the two hours, talk to some of your trusted vendors, talk to developers that are out there, talk to mom and pop shops that might be on the cutting edge and find out if this is right for you. It might be. I just wouldn't dive in too deep when there's so many other fish to fry. True that. All right. Next on the bad list, uh, the naughty list, I guess, since this is the holiday uh, is the race to the bottom on pricing. I, I call this sort of promotional insanity as well. I mean, it's 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 out there. It's really a year-round problem, but it, it's going to be bad this holiday. You just know it's coming. So so what, what do you do about that? How do you deal with it? Uh, how do you change? Oh, man. I mean, the race to bottom on pricing is eternal. And what's interesting is for a long time, the blame for the race to the bottom was – pretty much on Amazon. And I think it's interesting that Amazon, I, I think we'll talk about a little bit later in the marketplaces in general, aren't necessarily, I wouldn't loop them in the bad category. I think they're maybe in the ugly category in that 
we're all still trying to figure out the exact best way to deal with this as large brands. But the reality is that Amazon's own mission statement is to be the world's best consumer goods company. And nowhere in that mission statement do they want to be the cheapest. And if you crawl Amazon for 10 of your favorite products, they might be the cheapest on eight, but they're probably not the cheapest on 10. If you really want the cheapest, you start to get into coupon cutting sites and eBay and all kinds of different outlets that really are a symptom of usually a company's own mismanagement of inventory or distribution, of which I've been involved many times throughout my career. And it's tough to fight that off, but it is in the bad category. It's out there almost all brands face this at some point during the life cycle of the company. And you know something worse than distribution challenges, which lead to price wars, is discounting wars. You know, you see this in the folks like, I remember Gap maybe five to seven years ago during kind of post-recession era, there was a huge fight to the bottom on these Black Friday discounts. And I remember watching Banana Republic and Gap.com go 50 off the store and thinking to myself, man, somebody out there, some e-com professional (laughs) now has to comp this every single year for the rest of eternity unless the executive team says, hey, we don't need you to comp that anymore. And good luck with that with a public company. So the race to the bottom is... It's tough, and it, to some degree, you're fighting what's been already written historically. It's already in the annals of history. So you got to do your best throughout the rest of the year to hang on to a tight distribution model, to not undercut on price, to not be a pure play discounter, and try to stand out from the pack. Yeah, I think. I think another approach, too, that we look at is is trying to discount, but very selectively, you know, to those customers that you really want to cultivate this time of year, uh, target, target, target. So that's another angle on it too. It's not going to go away, but you definitely want to make sure you're, you're making the most of that, that investment. A hundred percent. If you can personalize in any way, shape or form to, it's a great way to try to avoid this. And it avoids the, the race to the bottom for everybody, because maybe it's, Maybe it is the race to the bottom, but at least it's for a select segment. Awesome. All right. So the last on the bad list uh, is we just generally call it support, uh, you know, customer support in general. And, and this has some potential too, and maybe this will be a great transition into the ugly. But uh, Gary, let us know what your feelings are currently at the state of sort of customer support. Because, you know, in 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 the needs around holidays, support goes out the roof. I just saw a study from Zendesk that found that for retailers – your support costs, your needs can go up as much as 42%, uh, which is pretty amazing. I mean, you could, you could see how that happens with all the shipping questions, but, but the pressure to make sure that those orders go through happen. You know, what, what are your feelings on that? You know, I, I've had the great fortune to run customer service teams in my career. And I can tell you this, when I first started running the teams, I am the first person to raise my hand and admit that I did not listen enough. 
which is just my own stupidity because you're not listening to folks on the front lines talking to your customers. It's the equivalent of being able to talk to associates in your retail store every day and get really direct feedback, but specifically about your dot-com. And so we all know that based on that stat, customer needs rise during the holidays. I think the reason we lump this in with the bad is not because customer service is bad. Customer service is the ultimate in good. It's keeping up with the demands of what the customer needs that's bad. Because the reality is the technology and customer service is moving at a pretty rapid clip these days. It's moving a lot faster than it has in the last 10 years. So maybe it's just the way that the curve works, but the platforms tend to go first and then maybe customer service is following behind. I think for a long time, there was a misunderstanding of how to talk with customers on social. That seems to be getting better. I think most companies are now responding, being where the customer is on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever that might be. But where it gets complicated now is there's these chatbots out there. There's automation. There's technology that you want to drive. The reality is you're only as good as the algorithm paired with the content. And taking the time to write all that content, well, you know, there's 365 days in the year. If 60 of its holiday... Did you spend the other 295 days building content? Sorry, 305 days building content? I don't think so. I don't think most brands are spending 300 days tuning content for holiday. And so you get into something of a dilemma where you want to roll out this automation. You want to provide as much support as possible to keep up with this intense curve. And how do you do it? You know, one of the ways that some of the platforms are enabling us to do it is by integration of technologies into the platform. So I was at a, excuse me, I was at a Salesforce conference a few months ago, and we were looking at Service Cloud, which is their customer service tool. And they're now enabling things like Apple Business Chat, which is a brand new technology. They're enabling service not over just online chat, but even further, taking it to a mobile freeing platform with service via SMS. And so when you start to look at these technologies, they're super customer centric. They are absolutely paired in with the best of the good. But what's bad is keeping up with it. And so support right at the moment, I think is one of these in one of these adoption curve cycles where we're going to get to it but it might not be for this holiday. Definitely. And one other technology you had mentioned to me previously that I thought was interesting. Can you speak a little bit about Apple Business Chat? That's something that I wasn't aware of, but obviously you've started to see that and that's popping up in different places. Yeah, Apple Business Chat's an interesting one where you're basically separating your own personal chat um, run by Apple, i.e. iChat, Uh, from a business level version of that. And I know some of the hotels that Salesforce demoed have rolled these out. I don't know which ones in particular, but if you Google Apple business chat businesses, you will get a list of who has rolled it out so far. And it's a fascinating experience. I highly recommend trying it out. You can just jump on there with your iPhone and start to engage in a discussion that's completely separated from your personal chat. 
Interesting. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link in there to that in the comments of this podcast for folks that want to check that out. So it's time. It's time for the ugly. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important that, that we separate, right? The ugly isn't bad. It's ugly. Ugly's, ugly's just ugly. It, it doesn't mean that it's bad. There are a lot of unattractive things out there that still function perfectly well. And people. And, and people, exactly. Lots and lots of them. So there's potential to be good in this category. It's just very complex. And so with the ugly, you have a puzzle that's maybe disassembled and you have to take the time to put it together. You know, I, I think there's lots of things that fall in here. I, maybe you want to start with something like marketplaces. You know, marketplaces are really complex. It's Back in the day, marketplaces were just eBay. And maybe there were some brands out there even trying to sell on Etsy when they were small. But now you have the likes of Amazon 3P, Amazon via marketplace. That's just a beast. I mean, it's just absolutely dominated. And I'm sure there are a lot of ex-Ebayers out there that just kind of shaking their heads right now because... You look at what Amazon has done and you think, oh, if only everything could be that organized. But it's beyond there. It's, it's into the Taobao's and Tmall's and hitting up marketplaces globally. That's equally important if you're a global business. And so you can see how the strategy gets really complex because, okay, well, what if I'm already a brand selling on Amazon? And they, Amazon took an inventory position with us five, 10 years ago, whenever it was. Well, that's 1P Amazon. Now you pair in 3P Amazon. And now you pair in, oh, well, I want to sell Amazon Canada. And I have a small business thriving in the UK. Okay, well, now I'm on three different Amazon platforms times two. So now I'm at six. But I want a clearance strategy on eBay. You want it just in the US or do you also want that for Canada? And it just goes and goes and goes. And I want to be the where the people are in China. I mean, the argument that marketplace was a piece of the strategy was valid all the way back to 2010. The necessity that it's a piece of the strategy is absolutely there in 2018 because that's where the traffic is and you have to be where the people are. I'm trying to remember the name of that song. I want to be where the people are. Ah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't do that. Uh, no, definitely, and you know, as as a consumer, you know that's that's where you end up starting a lot of the journey. Uh, you know, for you as a brand, you have a unique challenge opportunity to decide you know, which of these marketplaces can add you and associate your brand to, because there's a trade off there as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. The, the trade off is deep and wide, and that's why it becomes part of the ugly because there's no really quick solution to it. Most people's answer are, let's start in a domestic program where I understand the nature of the marketplace and take it from there. Okay. And I just remembered where that song was from. It's from The Little Mermaid. And now I'm totally embarrassed. I tried to sing a lyric from The Little Mermaid. Okay. Let's just, I'll, I'll cut that out in post or maybe I <laughs> That's 
clearly a good parent oh, there. God. Uh, anyway, okay, so so yeah, definitely marketplaces. We're not we're not. Uh, I think those are some interesting angles that everyone needs to be aware of as you look at their impact on this holiday. Next is something that I know both of us have suffered with, uh, see the potential of, but no one else has really executed, and that's the platform. And and in this case, let's just say e-commerce platform. But there's so many platforms out there. We'll just zero in on that. And, you know, we're in 2018 right now. It's holiday. Most companies are on the platform they're going to be on for holiday or some are launching into holiday, which is a, not a good idea. But, you know, where do we sit now in the in the platform space? Okay, so 10 years ago, I understand why replatform <laughs> was the <clears throat> ugliest word for anybody in e-com. There's nothing easy about it. There was nothing fun about it. It usually involved the total top to bottom redesign. It involved UX work. And I want you to just think about that moment. For those of you that have been in the industry for 10 years or more. I'm trying to repress that moment, but go ahead. I, I'll go well, well, wait. I think I, I have a way to make you feel better about it. <laughs> this is like a therapy session all of a sudden. This is a therapy session because... I got some news for you. Replatforming is not any easier. It's been 10 years and it's not any easier today. As a matter of fact, it's significantly worse because back then, if you wanted a mobile site, you would use branding brand and you would run mobile.brand.com. You didn't even need to worry about scalability. Now you have to replatform. You have to find something that's scalable to mobile Apple actually today released some new iPad Pros, and I think they're trying to have the second renaissance of iPads. So you still have to keep your tablet viewport in mind. There's just nothing easy about this stuff. And this is what amazes me. And this is why it's in the ugly state. We still have the same platforms that we had in 2007, 2008 that really haven't changed. You still have Oracle. You still have IBM WebSphere. You still have the demandware sales forces of the world. They've been snatched up and purchased. And yes, the merchandising tools are way better. And the content management tools are a little bit better. And Shopify is actually fairly fast to get up and running. And Magento is a little bit more hands-on. All of them are painful to get up and running. And so I kind of put platform development into the ugly because even if you're not replatforming, why does it take an entire team of developers to build out a small experience? If I want to build a quiz, say a wizard, a selection wizard for the holidays as part of my gift guide, right? Take choice A, B, or C. Okay, now take it to D, E, and F. It shouldn't be that hard to narrow down your assortment and get your consumer to an assortment that is relevant to them. And yet, it's not easy. Platform development is painful and long and expensive, and it doesn't seem to be getting faster. And so I'm looping this one into the ugly for 2018, and it seems like it's going to be in the ugly for a while. This is true. I mean, you think with the technologies that exist out there, we would 
be better along, far along. And, and certain aspects have moved well, but this one is just, still just a mystery to me as a practitioner. Uh, anyway, uh, so lastly, you know, this one, this one's close to home. Uh, personalization. Uh, I found a great quote from Paula Rosenblum, who's the co-founder of managing partner of RSR Research. She said, personalization is a bit like the weather. Everyone talks about it, but almost no one's really doing anything about it. And I, I like that. That's a good summation. I like it a lot because it essentially loops personalization into the same genre as AR VR. I think the reason we're putting this in the ugly and not the bad is personalization has some fundamentals that are already out there. They're baked and they're baked into many of the platforms that many of the listeners out there already utilize. An example of that is cross-selling engines. So Sertona, for instance, has been doing intelligent cross-selling for ages since the early days of e-com and it, they've been very successful at it. And Hey, a San Diego based company. So go Sertona. I actually am not currently a Sertona customer, but I have been in the past. And like many of the engines out there, they've made a fundamental shift from writing their own engine that was simply based on some small amount of data to actually starting to use big data and AI to drive some of the personalization. And Salesforce is doing the same thing with their Einstein cross-selling product. Many others in the market are doing the same. I think Monetate's doing the same thing. So the shift toward AI within personalization to me is really interesting because it combines two buzzwords, AI and personalization, both of which in and of themselves could be dead ends just like VR, AR and a real time suck on your day. But to me, if you combine them together and some really smart data scientist bakes them into a platform in a way that's fairly easy to implement, see platform development from earlier in this episode, then you're able to really accomplish something there. And to me, recommendations is a great example of where this technology can go. So I think Paul is correct. Nobody's doing much about it on an individual level and so I think the vendors are starting to take it upon themselves to say, nobody's going to use this technology unless we make it approachable. And I think why recommendations work, and, and there are other tactics that work too, leveraging personalization is one aspect is the data and another aspect is content, right? Data about the individuals, we're coming along there. It's about the content and contents with recommendations are product. You have those. That's easy. Uh, it's metadata now, but you have those products. So I look for personalization strategies that have you know, avoided the content problem, can leverage the data to do something unique to individuals. And, and those have come along. Uh, you know, like the offer platform that I'm involved with essentially just looks at personalized offers. That's just about a number. You can use all the data, the AI, the ML you want. You don't have to be held back by deciding what to say. And I think that's a a big piece of what's holding back the the true personalization nirvana we're trying to reach. Yeah, I think personally it's going to continue to be a buzzword until it's not. And I think seg proper segmentation strategies, recommendations that we've already talked about, the tools that your company develops, 
I think there are lots of good options out there in the market. And, and again, I come back to don't try to research and do this stuff yourself. Don't try to come up with your own, Hey, we're going to suddenly have a segmentation strategy. Well, does anybody in your company really know what that means? It'd be the equivalent of saying, we're going to start to build our own cross-selling engine. Well, you could, but somebody out there in a large company that's putting a lot of R&D dollars behind the effort is probably doing it in a little bit of a more efficient manner than you can internally. So take the time, if you are going to go down the personalization buzz path, take the time to do a little bit of research as to who's in the market Talk to your colleagues, network with people on LinkedIn, and then try to figure out what your next steps are. Awesome. Thanks, Gary. Well, that rounds out the ugly, which is a phrase I'm going to try to reuse because I, I like that now. Uh, but that and also closes out our holiday edition of the good, the bad, and the ugly with Gary Penn. Gary, thank you so much. Uh, any parting words? You know, I've had a great time. This is an awesome way to kind of rehash my thought process as we're coming into holiday. And for everybody that's out there listening, if you're catching this during holiday when it's going to air, take the time to breathe. Just make sure you take a step back and think about the fact that 60 days is not the entire year. It might be a good chunk of your business, but you've been spending lots of time ostensibly preparing for this time. So breathe try to enjoy it. Try to enjoy your team and your colleagues during this time of the year and not just have it be a total freak out time. This is what e-com is all about. This is the fun part. And some of you are diving into the ugly here. So we'd love to hear your stories about um, how you've turned that into the good. And then one last note, if anybody wants to follow me on LinkedIn, I would welcome you to follow me. I have a video series out there. So looking forward to touching base with many of you. Yeah, and I encourage you to check that out. Gary puts some great content in there regularly. It's small, digestible chunks. Uh, I like that because I've got a very short attention span. Awesome. Thanks, Gary, a lot. And everyone, happy holidays. Thanks very much.